Aging Matters is brought to you in part by Kathy Corridan, Senior Real Estate Specialist. Kathy is a realtor with KW Metro Center in Alexandria and works with seniors in Alexandria, Arlington, and D.C. to make selling their home and moving less stressful and more successful. More information is available at 703-971-7237 or ccatkw at gmail.com. Welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERALP Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. By their sheer number, the growing 50-plus population means more older Americans are either already in the workforce or seeking employment than at any other time in history. For career success later in life, Self-employment can be an alternative to traditional W-2 employment. My guest today is Shira Lotzar, Chief Engagement Officer of Purposeful Hire and co-founder of a volunteer organization called BoomerWorks.org. She will talk about the current status of the 50-plus community in the workplace, their reasons for seeking alternative employment, and how they can do so most effectively. So welcome, Cheryl, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks. It's a delight to be here, Cheryl. Okay, well, let's start with an overview of what's going on with the 50-plus population. Describe what the challenges are that this, this population faces in the current workforce. Yeah, it's a great question because the 50-plus population has faced challenges for a long, long time. You know, traditionally, employers tend to hire individuals between the ages of 25 to 45. It's just a product of age discrimination. It's an, it's an unfortunate thing. Um, but part of the reason why that is the case is that employers are, are looking to find individuals who they believe are going to grow in their role, right? And when they get to a certain stage of life, the uh, implication, right, the presumption is that the person is on the verge of retirement. Now, of course, these days, people are living longer, they're working longer, so it is a misperception. In fact, if you go back to the 1920s and 30s, when Social Security and pension plans, remember pension plans, (laughs) were created, that was because the lifespan of individuals was more around 65, and that's why 65 has become sort of the unofficial age of retirement. Again, those numbers are changing. So employers have still not quite caught up with that. So they have this mindset around, oh, you hire younger. And then, you know, as the person kind of gets to be 50 plus, they're going to start to think about retirement. Today, it's even more pronounced because there's sort of this uh, bell curve, if you will, or some people call it an hourglass. I think that's a better term, an hourglass, where we have an increasingly large 50 plus population and an increasingly large younger population, aka the millennials. Uh, Gen Xers are some, somewhere in the middle and pretty small, but especially when you when you talk about the baby boomer generation, who right now is really 60 plus, um, that's a huge population of people, again, who are living longer, working longer. And so they tend to have more challenges in finding, finding work and actually keeping the work that they have. Well, it sounds like then that's why there's a need for some alternatives out there. And to that point, 
I had mentioned in my introduction about W-2 employment. Now, most people probably know what that is, but maybe not. So explain to us, what is the difference between traditional W-2 employment and self-employment? Sure. W-2 employment is, well, just you use the right word, traditional employment, where you get a paycheck from an employer. It is the way that most people work. Um, you know, you, 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 you interview for the job, you get hired for the job and somebody else pays you for that work and they pay you in a, in a, in a steady sort of a way. Self-employment is just that you are employed by yourself. You are the one who has to go look for the business. And uh, it's, it's what some, I have a friend who says it's the difference between signing the back of the paycheck and the front of the paycheck. Right. Um, and so, you know, you're, you are responsible for your own uh, business development, your own marketing and getting your own clients. That's the difference. Okay. And one word that as I was uh, preparing the questions for this interview, I came across the word re-career. Talk about that. What what does that mean in so far as this population? What, do, what does it mean to re-career into self-employment? Sure. It's a great question, Cheryl. Thanks for that. So re-careering is basically this idea that if a person has been in traditional W-2 roles for their entire career, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, right? Re-careering means that you are shifting your mindset and shifting your skill set into, in this case, would be a self-employment situation. We're calling it re-careering because it really is looking at your career in a whole different way, right? Where it used to be, you know, in your 20, 30, 40 years of, of working, um, it used to be that you you sort of saw yourself in a profession and, you know, maybe you, you know, you shifted careers um, a little bit here. You know, some people do that. They go from, you know, this profession to that profession or this industry to that industry. And that happens, you know, frequently. In fact, a lot of people have done that two, three, four, five times in their in their life. Not that it's easy, but there are people who do it. Um, and when they do that, um, as, as challenging as that is, it's still all within the context of a W-2 job, meaning you don't have to go and look for your, you know, eat what you kill, if you will. Um, when you're re-careering into self-employment, everything changes because suddenly now you're responsible for your income. Now, on the one hand, there's a lot of freedom and flexibility with that uh, because, you know, when you, when you think about the um, you know, the, the opportunities to be autonomous, to work towards your passion, to find, to do things that you absolutely love to do. Um, that's a, that's a very, um, it's, it's a very compelling, um, you know, sort of a, of a, of a, of a narrative for a lot of people. Uh, because, you know, a lot of times when you're, when you're in a, a traditional W2 employment, right, you, if you don't mind me saying the, the, the employer kind of owns you, right? You know, you do what they say, you know, what, what they say, otherwise you could lose your job. Um, and so, you know, when you think about, you know, some of the advantages, and I'll just sort of shift into that for a second in the re-careering, um, there's advantages to re-careering into self-employment. You know, you can reinvent yourself. You can reinvent what you do, who you do it for, who you serve, how you serve. Um, you can have a flexible schedule. And right now we're, we're talking in the, the, the uh, pandemic, you know, season as well, you know, remote work, are we going back to work, you know, two days a week, three days a week. I mean, there's all of these machinations at, at these companies around whether or not, you know, you know, how, how many days a week can you telework? Well, of course, as a self-employed person that, that all that, all that goes out the window, you control your schedule. Right. Um, and you also have unlimited, unlimited potential income. With employ with the traditional employment situation, Cheryl, and, and I'm, you know, I know you've been there. Um, you know, people tend to to haggle 
over the smallest amounts. It is very interesting. I'm, I'm, you know, one. I, I have many practice areas. One of which is a recruiter. And right now, I'm, I'm doing a very unique search. And it, frankly, the salary is on the low side for the market. And I'm haggling with this employer. Ten more thousand dollars, please, just up the ten more thousand. <laughs> and they're haggling with me, right? Where as an as a self-employed person that just doesn't that doesn't even factor into the equation. Because you can always get a new client, you can always charge higher fees, you can always expand your practice areas, and you don't have to worry about the ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars here or there and the fluctuations of what the employer thinks is good for their budget. You can set the stage and you can set the parameters around how much you want to charge. Um, and likewise, you know, you can get multiple streams of, of, of revenue. And again, you don't have to be just locked into that one employer in a W-2 situation. You can have all kinds of clients and you can have all kinds of practice areas, right? So for me, I'm in the workforce world, right? I'm a recruiter. I'm a career coach. I'm a small business coach. I do interview training. I do some team building and culture work. And I've, I've expanded my practice areas over the years to serve my clients in all kinds of ways, which means I have multiple revenue streams. I'm not locked in to one. So for example, in the recession, right, a lot of people were not recruiting, but guess what? There are a lot of people who needed career coaching. So I was able to sort of balance off, you know, my, my income streams. Um, it's also an ability to, you know, self-employment is an opportunity to pursue your passion. You know, there could have been something that you wanted to do 20 years ago or whenever you started your career um, that you weren't allowed to pursue because the employer pigeonholed you, right? Oftentimes when we start our careers, um, regardless of whether we go to college or not, there's, we are all, all of us are early career professionals at some point in, in our lives. And when we start building that resume, the very first employer that we work with usually sets the stage for whatever other employers are going to look, how, how, however other employers are going to find us attractive. So if you worked in the financial services industry as an intern, let's say, guess what? Another financial services industry is going to find you appealing, but not necessarily consumer packaged goods firm or a commercial real estate firm or a healthcare firm, because suddenly people start thinking that you don't, that you aren't going to be able to slide into that job um, uh, easily, right? They, they're, they're thinking that 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 they're, they're, that that's you're too much of a risk, right? Because you don't understand their industry and you don't understand the job. And so what happens is we get pigeonholed in our careers, and in job by job by job, the employers tend to say, "Well, no, I I don't care what you want to do. I care what you're capable of doing, and therefore I'm going to keep hiring you based on what you're capable of doing." But where's your passion? That often goes out the window, and so oftentimes people find themselves at a later stage of career. And now all of a sudden they want to pursue their passion. And what's the best way to do that? Self-employment. Okay. Well, and that is a good segue into were all of these uh, situations and um, uh, what you're talking about, was that the impetus for establishing boomerworks.org? Tell us about that and, and how boomerworks.org is helping the 50 plus population transition into self-employment. Sure. It actually started at the end of the last recession. It was 2013. We were just climbing out of that recession. And I started noticing that there was this whole population of 50 plusers who were actually coaching clients of mine um, who weren't landing. Cheryl, they just weren't landing. And we're talking about seasoned, experienced, qualified people who were at the top of their game at one point just could not land. And I had this, well, it was a divine epiphany, tr truly, Cheryl. It was a divine epiphany. I mean, I shed tears. <laughs> it was just one of those moments. And I knew that I had to do something to help them. 
Now that I'm a Gen Xer, um, at the time I was under 50. <laughs> and so I was looking at the other 50 plus population as sort of, you know, the, the ones who preceded me. I, I, I'm now 51. And so um, I'm, I've, I've joined that crowd. But but I, I formed Boomer Works. And the, of course, the word Boomer in Boomer Works was re referenced the Boomers. But now really, it's just we're just talking 50 plusers. And I, I started it because I recognized that it wasn't just that um, a lot of 50 plusers weren't landing, but that because of the elimination of pension plans many years ago in most sectors and of course government and education you know there are a couple of sectors that still are blessed to have it but for the most part people don't have it so if you don't have a pension plan and you're and you've used your 401k up you know in 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 you know being in long-term transition most people oftentimes people are living paycheck to paycheck anyway i was realizing that the 50 plus population um, at some point could be facing destitution and so I wanted to provide, I felt again, divinely led really to, to, um, to provide an opportunity for folks to shift into self-employment and learn how to do it, right? Um, there's so, there aren't that many resources for, for folks. Now there are some out there. Uh, there's, a, there's a nonprofit called SCORE, S-C-O-R-E.org. And they provide you know, help for, for, for self-employed folks, not specifically 50 plus, just in general, if you're looking for self-employment support. They offer coaching uh, usually like once a month and they have, you know, webinars and things like that. And the Small Business Administration, of course, does some work there too. Um, but there wasn't anything that I could find specifically geared toward the 50 plus community. Now, AARP uh, recently has started to dabble in this just a little bit, but back in 2013, that wasn't happening. Um, and I really wanted to have a dedicated, uh, you know, organization. And so the, what we do is we offer two things. We offer education and community building. And how that works is we, in fact, it's really interesting, I got to tell you, when we first started, um, in fact, I, 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 found, I, I founded this organization and yet a couple, it took me a couple, couple few years to, uh, to really kind of get my sea legs and figure out what I wanted to offer. And, I, and interestingly, one of my coaching clients, a woman named Catherine Hone, she decided to partner with me. So I say that we're co-founders of BoomerWorks because she really helped me to launch it for real. Um, we started offering um, for, I think it was summers of 2016, 17, and 18, we offered week-long or a couple, few week-long what we called boot camps. And those boot camps were designed to, um, you know, kind of get people kind of, if you will, through the self-employment process, at least at a high level, and teach them some of the basics of what it meant, meant to be self-employed. Well, <laughs> interestingly, you know, we started here in the D.C. area <clears throat> and we all, those of us who are listening, right, we're all in this area. We know the traffic, we know the commuting, and it was very difficult to get folks to get a venue and get, get people, you know, off the beltway and, you know, to come to these meetings, you know, um, McLean Bible Church actually hosted us. It was such a blessing to have them, but still we, we were limited in, in who we could reach because of the geography and the in-person side of things. Well, COVID was actually a blessing in disguise because we were forced to go online. And April 30th was the first time we decided to have our first virtual webinar. And it was the best thing we could have done because now what we have is we've developed a training center. So what we do is we have every two weeks, we have an educational program followed by um, what we call a growth group. And the growth group is a, a chance for folks to come together in a small peer setting. It's myself and a few other uh, small business experts. And we coach people just for an hour and a half. Uh, if you, whatever topic you have, whether you're just conceptualizing your business or whether you've been in it for years and years and you just have a question about your business, we're here to help. Um, the educational programs, by contrast, are topic-based. 
So we have a speaker come in and talk about networking or marketing or operations or what have you. And we've put all of that on our training center. So if you go to boomerworks.org and you go to the training center tab, we have a drop down menu. We have topic by topic, and we actually um, we we upload all the videos. We record all the Zoom calls. It's really just a wonderful thing. We have downloads and things of that nature, and so we're trying to kind of provide what I'll call a DIY uh, sort of a of a of a scenario where folks can get their education. They can also engage with their peers. Now we are an all all volunteer organization, so we don't we we have only but so much capacity. So we don't have a capacity to do one on one coaching like SCORE does. Uh, but again, we are providing this sort of evergreen material where folks can, you know, get education. They can, you know, watch those videos and then they can learn from their peers. Okay. Well, that's a good overview of Boomerworks. And I, I wanted to just, as the process starts for people who are transitioning to self-employment, I'd like you to talk a little bit more. You mentioned it a little bit earlier, but why is it important to shift one's mindset about work. I, I think that's a, it's really good to talk about that. And also you had mentioned a little bit earlier about your skill set. So help us kind of begin the process, these two areas of, of you know, your mindset and your skill set. What do people need to know? Sure. So let's talk about the mindset first. I mentioned some of the advantages of self-employment, the freedom to reinvent and flex schedule and all of that. But that's actually part of shifting your mindset. Because when you are working in a, in a W-2 situation, the perception is, is that you have, ready? I'm going to use a phrase that I hear all the time. Very important for people to listen to this. The perception is, is that you have a stable income. I want to let that phrase hang in the air for a minute, Cheryl, because that is one of the biggest myths that anybody who is shifting from W-2 employment to self-employment needs to overcome. There is no such thing as stable income anymore. Now, they, another word that they could use is steady income, right? And that is true to the extent that, it, that, that you have a job. But the stability factor is one of the biggest mindset shifts that's needed because back in a day, work actually was stable. In the time of pensions, in the time when people stayed 30 years, when there was mutual loyalty between the employer and the, and the employee, and it you got into your job and you put your head down and you worked and it was stable. But things changed. Things changed in the, in the technology revolution. And the whole, the, 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 the loss of pension plans and people suddenly were free agents and employers are too, right? They're in an at-will state. And so what ended up going, you know, being the 30-year tenure became 14-year tenure. And now it's honestly, there's an average of four and a half years of tenure for any employee in this country, four and a half years. Um, and that's mutual. That's them transitioning you out and you transitioning yourself out. Stability has gone out the window. If, if an employer loses a client, they lose their business, you can lose your job. Why we started Boomerworks and the whole mindset, sh mindset shift is because we wanted to show people that actually <laughs> the self-employment, I know this sounds, this sounds kind of a, a, you know, ironic, but, but it's actually more stable than your W-2 job. Because with your W-2 job, the way that I, I, I look at it is, um, you know, you're the, when you're, you're, you're in a boat, okay, you're floating down the river and then the boat, the boat tips over, Right. If you are, you could be hanging on to your boat for dear life, right? But what happens if you, 
you know, lose the boat, right? You have to start swimming. And unfortunately, no, most people in this country here have not been taught how to swim for themselves, basically how to become self-employed. Now, back before the Industrial Revolution, when people were agrarian and they had their little small businesses, everybody was self-employed, basically, right? Everybody kind of knew the skills of how to go get more business. We have lost that. We really have lost that mostly in this country, uh, where people are tied to the one boat. They're tied to the one employer. And they're waiting for that employer to get more business for them. And so the mindset shift is to go from this idea of stability, un, of, of that W-2 work as stable income, to shifting to the fact that actually self-employment is, is more stable. Now you think, well, but I could lose a client. Yeah, guess what? Every time you lose a client, you can gain a new client, where you can't do that in W-2 work, Cheryl. If you lose, if they lose the client, unless you're in sales, that's different. If you're a salesperson, you're, you're in a safer spot usually. But if you're not in sales, you have no control over whether that, that employer loses the client, loses the contract, and is, has to restructure and downsize you. You have no control. In self-employment, you do. You can always get another client. So that's one of the, minds, the, minds, the mindset shifts that people need to overcome. Also, the idea of, well, I don't have any sales skills. I'm, I don't know how to market. Well, that might be the case, right? Because most people don't actually. But there are tools that you can hold on to. There are, there are techniques you can learn. You can actually outsource some of those things. You can help some, get somebody to help you with your marketing. You can learn. In fact, at Boomerworks, we teach people how to do networking, right? Um, there are all kinds of tools out there, especially online. You know, Some people jokingly say, you know, call it YouTube University, right? Go to YouTube and you can learn anything. And it's true. It really is. You can learn how to market. You can learn how to do e-commerce. You can learn how to network. Um, so it's not impossible. And, and especially if you have a community of folks who are supportive alongside you, um, especially if you if you tap into the the the, the trusted uh, advisors, you know, the trusted colleagues that you have have grown up with professionally. Those are the folks that can help you, right? To 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 shift, uh, you know, some of your uh, some some of your skills. Uh, some of the other mindset shifts are, you know, risk aversion. You know, again, with the with the concept of of W two work being quote stable, most people feel, oh, I'm sad. I don't have to I don't have to worry anymore. I you know I'm a, I'm a risk averse person, and I I'm a, I'm stable now. Well, again, stability. There is no no more such thing as stability. And so the mindset shift is, you know what? shifted from a, from a risk aversion mindset to an adventure mindset. Okay. The adventure is, Hey, there's possibilities out there. Hey, I could get a new client. Hey, I could shift my, my skills. I can pursue my passion. I can, I can do things that I love to do. Right. It, that the adventure mindset is, is really what's needed to, uh, to kind of shift. Now in terms of skill sets, okay, that's a different concept. Now with a skill, the skill set shift is a little bit different. And the way that I like to look at it is um, something that I call it's going to sound funny, but it'll make sense in a second. I call it ing versus er. Ing versus er. What does that mean? So the ing is your skill. The er is the profession. So writing is a skill. Writer is the profession. Event planning, event planner, you get the idea. Well, what's happened in our W-2 careers is that we have amassed a whole bunch of ing skills. All kinds of things, financial analysis and policy you know, analysis and project management and bookkeeping and strategic planning and all kinds of things. And what I recommend that folks do is, is start by making a list of all of the ing skills that you have, but not just the ing skills that you have. They, there's a certain filter here. And the filter is 
what are the ing skills that you have used that you feel you're great at, you're a rock star, that you also love to do? So it has to fit two categories. You're great at it and you love it. And then if you write down that list, maybe you come up with 10 different things. Then do a second filter and say to yourself, okay, of these 10 things that I'm great at and I love, is there one or more, or are there one or more ing skills that I love doing so much that I could see doing it as a full-time self-employment career? And I've seen that happen. I'll give you a very good, an interesting example. Um, a number of years ago, I was working with a woman named Jacqueline. And Jacqueline came to me as a, in my career coaching capacity. And she, she was a CEO of a nonprofit and thought she wanted to be another CEO of a nonprofit, right? Very normal. And so we, we went through this exercise and she did her ing and her er. And I, you know, I said, okay, you've got, you know, 10 different things. And, and you know, among her 10 things, she you knew board relations and all, you know, normal nonprofit kinds of skills that she was listing. And then I said, okay, well, are, is there any skill here that you love so much you could see doing it right full time? And she stopped and she lifted her head. She got big eyed and she almost leaped across the table and she goes, event planning. I said, what? And she says, no, 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 you don't understand. She donor event planning. I said, huh? She goes, I am so good at donor event planning. There are other nonprofit executives who come to me to help them with their donor events. She says, I'm creative. You know, the people who are in the room, they laugh, they cry. We have kids, we have pictures, we have all these different things. And she said, I am like the best at it. And I said, Jacqueline, remember, she came to me looking for a W-2 job, but I also have this small business thing in the back of my mind. I said, Jacqueline, do you think you love this donor event stuff so much that you could do it as a self-employed person? She goes, absolutely. Humanimpactevents.com was born. <laughs> and, we, and we worked on that now that we shifted into a small business mindset because she realized that this one particular skill that she had been doing just naturally and loved doing, now she had an opportunity to, to do it actually as a full-time business. It was a great story. It's a wonderful story, and we are just at a point where we're going to take a break. I mean, you've really set us up for how we need to prepare, and now we're going to, after the break, talk about outside, like target markets and, and other kinds of aspects. So in case you tuned in late, we're talking with Shira Lotzar, Chief Engagement Officer of Purposeful Hire. She's also the co-founder of a volunteer organization called boomerworks.org. And you're listening to WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Welcome back. We are talking with Shira Lotzar, the Chief Engagement Officer of Purposeful Hire and co-founder of BoomerWorks.org. And Shira really gave us a nice introduction about how 
we can prepare for self-employment. And I now want to turn to what happens outside and how people who are in doing self-employment can uh, look at and maybe control or or work with uh, other factors. And, and I'd like to start with the target market. Shira, explain to us, how does someone transition, who's, who's transitioning to self-employment, define their, their target market? What, what does that mean and what do they need to know? Sure. So let me, let me back up and, and, and say this, okay? Your business is not about your solutions. It's about solving somebody else's problem. It's a very important concept, I think, for people to get. Because oftentimes folks will say, oh, I want to use this skill or I want to sell this product. I want to offer this service. And they don't actually think about who wants to pay for what you're offering. That can be a challenge. (laughs) In fact, oftentimes in the technology world, you find that. Uh, You find some engineer who comes up with a cool widget, right? And they're like, oh, this is the best thing since sliced bread. And they go to their marketing people like, we don't have a market for this. Like nobody's going to want to buy this. It's really cool, but where's the market? So the market are the individuals, whether that's people, you know, in, in consumers or industries, you know, businesses could be the government, any institution or individual that has a perceived need for your product or service that is going to want, not need, want to pay you to help them solve it. Preferably, it's an urgent problem. It doesn't have to be an urgent problem, but it's a a quicker sales cycle if it is an urgent problem. And you need to be thinking about who that market is. Now, there are three um, primary um, markets. These are very, very broad that you could serve. And it could be one or more of these markets. And one is what we call B2C, business to consumer. So that's when you sell something well to a consumer. So you're a hotel and you're trying to sell rooms. You are um, Amazon and you're trying to sell, you know, your products, right? You're selling to a consumer. And typically when you're, when you're selling to a consumer, you're targeting a demographic. And the demographic could be anything. It could be an age. It could be a, reg- a region that people live in. It could be their, their lifestyle, you know, so, it, you know, you're targeting, you know, young moms, you know, ages like, you know, in their 20s, right? Or I'll give you an example, McDonald's. You know, McDonald's has changed their target market. It's all been business to consumer, right? All consumers. But they have changed their marketing and their target market over the years. You know, there was a time when it was, you know, just uh, uh, families, right? Oh, you know, you've got to, you got to, you know, your soccer mom and you just want to get to, you know, the, the happy meal, right? Remember the happy meal? I don't even know if they offer that anymore. <laughs> uh, the happy meal for, for your kids and all. Great. And they marketed it to that consumer population in a certain way. But then they shifted. And you know when they shifted? And you know how, excuse me, you know how, they, how I know that they shifted? Because they changed their tagline a number of years ago. And their tagline, Cheryl, I don't know if you, you, you've noticed this, is I'm loving, L-O-V-I-N apostrophe, I'm loving it. That is clearly not designed for a family soccer mom population. That is for a population probably that's younger, could be urban, um, you know, if people are hip right. Who are kind of into a, you know, I just, I want to, I want to get a, I want to get a hamburger. Right. But they're, they're trying to, they're trying to market it to a different population where it's not just about convenience and oh, get, get your happy meal for your keep kids happy. Right. But it's kind of that, that kind of that cool hip, you know, sort of a crowd. And so they have had to shift 
their demographics. And I think partly because, well, look, we became a healthier generation. And I think a lot of soccer moms, as much as they want to, you know, make their kids happy, um, they also want to feed their kids healthy food. And McDonald's isn't necessarily the healthiest, but but a different, maybe a younger urban crowd, maybe doesn't care as much, right? So I'm using that as an example because McDonald's figured out who has the, if you will, problem or the desire in this case um, to, to eat their food. And so they shifted their marketing to a different demographic. Okay. The second one is B2B. B2B is business to business. And typically there you're targeting an industry. Now, the thing about targeting an industry means that you are you have to be able to provide a unique solution to solve that industry's problem. Now, it's not that you have to be a B, if you're a B2B person, you don't necessarily have to specialize in an industry, but oftentimes people do. And when you do, it tends to be more effective. I'll give you an example in my own life. So I, in my B2B world, I target the association sector. And here in the DC area, we know there's an association on every street corner, a national association of widget makers, if you will. Um, that's a community. That's an industry. It's a sector. And I've been working with that sector for over 25 years, and I know it very, very intimately. I know the problems that keep that industry up at night. Here also in the DC area, we've got high tech, we've got biotech, we've got legal, Right? We have all the government, or, sorry, I'm not talking about government yet. Uh, we have all these different I industries and sectors that, there are, that some businesses focus on and target because they understand the problems that keep that industry up at night. And so when they are marketing to that business, or excuse me, when they're marketing to that, that industry, they can speak to those unique problems. Right? It's, it makes the employer feel very, the client feel very safe. When they say, oh, you get us, you get our problems, we believe that you can provide the right solution. And then B2G is the third one that's business to government, a whole different sector. In fact, here in the DC area, we call it, you know, GovCon, you know, government contracting. And that could be anything, right? You target an agency or you, you know, maybe it's your DOD contractor or um, you just, you know, you tend to offer services to, I don't know, the FAA or what have you. Um, again, that agency, that, that government agency is going to feel safer when they know that you specialize in solving the problems that keep them up at night. So that's kind of the concept of the target market. One thing as I was listening to you talk, I was, I mean, what you're explaining, and my goodness, again, you have lots of experience in doing this insofar as, as identifying the best solution. Do people who decide they want to get into self-employment, do they need to learn some special problem-solving skills to, to, to do what you just described in these different areas? So what I can say, here's what I'm first of all going to say to that. Um, the first skill that they need is the skill of listening. You need to listen to what keeps your target market up at night. That means doing some research. That means talking to people. That means doing online research. That means reading articles. That means listening to what's going on with your consumer or your business or the government and saying, what is going on? What, is, what are really the pain points that they're facing that relate to the kinds of problems that I can solve? And then once you start figuring that out, then you can start testing the market a little bit. So you say, well, I want to offer this product. Or I want to offer this service. And you go back to those individuals and say, well, if I were to offer this or this, <clears throat> in what ways would you like me to, could you benefit from me providing that product or service, right? So what kind of solution is going to be right for you? 
And when you, when you, when you start asking those questions, then you can get into what would be your unique differentiator, um, your, or what some people call the UVP, your unique value proposition. Uh, so, you know, for, with Amazon, for example, they decided that uh, they were going to go for the convenience value proposition. And we all know, right, hit a button and you get this thing at your door in 24 hours. Um, it's not even necessarily that they're, that they're promoting high, highest quality, uh, lowest price, anything like that. Of course, they're an aggregator, so they're selling all kinds of things. But they're, they're the, the pain point, right, that they decided that they realized that their customers need them to solve is convenience, right? The touch of a button kind of a thing. And so you need to ask your clients, your prospective clients, what's keeping you up and what kind of solution um, would be the most valuable to you that would make you go, oh, wow, you're offering it this way. You're going to be somebody who's very competitive because you're going to be doing it very differently than everyone else. Does that help, Cheryl? Yeah, I think another part of this, and I would welcome your thoughts on this, is really doing research on what's going on in the market. Is that a part of what you teach as well? 100%. In fact, um, you know, we if you go to boomerworks.org, if you go to our training center tab, you're going to find a tab called market research. Okay. And we actually have two different videos. Uh, one is called validating your big, big idea, which is, which is uh, the concept is to learn how to validate your business concept with market research. And the second one is on primary research, how to survey your target customer. And actually the two individuals who presented on these two topics are such experts that I don't even want to uh, touch as much on what they, what they talked about. I would actually, um, encourage individuals to go to and watch those two videos because they're, they're so in-depth. Um, in fact, they, we actually have two different downloads um, that they can, that they can go actually three different va- va- downloads, um, the three different, three different uh, PDFs. You know, we have market research resources and validating your business concept, you know, concept and targeting your customer. And the information is just so rich. I wouldn't do it justice. So I would encourage people to go there. Good advice. Good advice. Another area, Shira, that is seems to be sometimes a, a conflict for people who are self-employed is marketing themselves and their business. I, I've often wondered, because I did this myself years ago, how much time do you spend actually doing the business that you are now doing versus marketing yourself? Also, the second part would be how self-employed people can find potential clients. But I think there's kind of, maybe it's connected, but not. Give us an overview, Shira. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Well, first of all, I'm going to address the first part of what you just talked about in terms of the time commitment. You know, once your business gets going, and I realize you have to market in order to get business, but let's just say once your business gets going, you have clients and customers, the, the, um, the tendency is to focus on delivering the work rather than marketing the business that everybody goes through that. And so the, the rule of thumb is, is that you should be spending it once your business is off and running, you should be spending at least 20% of your week on marketing. Okay. Always keep the pipeline filled. It's one thing to get a big rainstorm, right? But eventually all that water is going to dry up. Okay. And you don't know when the next rainstorm is. So you've got to constantly, you know, look for the raindrops, right? So that's just on a timing perspective. In terms of marketing itself, again, huge, huge topic. Because going back to the whole B2B, B2C, B2G thing, um, there are different kinds of marketing techniques for those three different sectors. For business to consumer, B2C, it's marketing is what we call, is, is typically, well, it can be one-on-one for sure. 
Um, but a lot of it often is equal, we call e-commerce, which is a digital marketing solution where you are reaching out to people through the digital channels, through social media, through uh, e, you know, e-blasts, um, where, where you're um, you know, paid advertising on different Google channels. Oh my gosh, it goes on and on and on. And there's a whole cottage industry around how to maximize your e-commerce efforts. Uh, part of e-commerce is not just sort of what we call push marketing, where we go, hey, do you want to buy a widget? Right? Like, hey, here's a social media post. I mean, that absolutely works. Uh, but there's also something that we call pull marketing, where you're drawing people in. So you would do that through thought leadership. What does that mean? So let's say you are, um, you're looking for a real estate agent, or no, sorry, not you, your customer, your consumer is looking for a real estate agent, and they've just started to Google, you know, finding a real estate agent near me. Well. A really good real estate agent is not just going to have a listing, you know, Google ad and that kind of thing. A really good real estate agent is going to start having some thought leadership. They're going to start, um, uh, they're going to have uh, newsletters or they're going to have uh, blog posts or webinars on how to, um, you know, to, to make your home ready for sale, you know, or the best time of year to market your, your home and all kinds of helpful DIY uh, educational kinds of content. So when you have educational content, you put it out there, you know, you have a social media channel, um, you know, you, you get on a podcast like this, right? And you're sharing educational information, you write an article for somebody else's publication on and on and on. And you put yourself out there to educate your consumer, educate, not sell, educate your consumer. The more you do that, the more your brand reputation is going to precede you. A. And B, the more likely it is, if you have it on, on enough, enough social channels, the more likely it is that when that person types in how to find a real estate agent near me, you come up on the first page. Okay. Now there are techniques of how to do that. There are actually marketing people who can help you, you know, kind of use the right keywords, right? That Google likes. Um, and by the way, they love videos. You should know that. Um, but to get the right keywords and videos on there so that you're more likely to show up on the, on the first page is what we call SEO, search engine optimization. Uh, you you do all of this, and then it's pulling people towards you. You're not pushing information, but they're naturally looking for your thought leadership and your content so that they come and find you because now all of a sudden you're on their first page. Business to business, while B2B, you can do e-commerce and digital and so forth. And in fact, thought leadership is actually very, very helpful. Oftentimes in B2B, it's much more relationship focused. And by the way, not the consumers isn't because there are definitely businesses where you would do, you know, more one-on-one, let's say you're, um, you know, you're, you're in a multi-level marketing business like Mary Kay, that kind of thing. And, you know, oftentimes that's one-on-one, but business to business, that's usually where the one-on-one relationships come in, where you need to go out and cultivate those relationships. And where do you do that? Well, we actually just had a, a program the other day on BoomerWorks. Uh, I called it, you know, fish or cut bait, how to prioritize your networking efforts. And the idea is that you need to fish where the fish are. What does that mean? Well, your fish, meaning your target, your target audience, the commercial real estate sector, financial services sector, the healthcare sector, whatever, whoever you're targeting, um, those are the, the, the target, the person that you're targeting. So you're not just targeting an industry, you're talking, you're targeting an individual. So maybe you're, you're, business, you're selling your businesses, your business, excuse me, you're selling your product or service to the chief information officers of hospitals, you know, or you're selling it to the uh, VPs of membership for associations, or you're selling it to the, 
you know, head of research and development for consumer packaged goods industries, whatever. You, you find that point of contact, the decision maker, okay? The decision maker, who's going to buy your service? And you figure out where do those people hang out? What publications do they read? What networking groups do they attend? What associations do they belong to? What podcasts are they listening to? What social media channels are they on? All of those things. And when you can figure out where those people hang out, the ponds that they swim in, you start swimming in those ponds. You join that association. You speak at that event. You join that networking group. You post on that social media channel, that kind of thing. And so that B2B um, you know, marketing is your reputation preceding you, where you can be known as a trusted advisor to that sector where there's a concept that I call, again, it's going to sound funny, where I call goldfish and purple fish. Wait, what? What's that? So the goldfish pond are the are where the, the people who are in that networking group, they all have something in common. They're all CIOs. They're all commercial real estate agents. They're all whatever. They are your target population. But the purple fish is the person in that room, or these days virtually, um, who does something different than everybody else, that offers something of value. So in my case, when I network with association executives, CEOs, executive directors, those are oftentimes my clients, we're all goldfish. I am too, in the sense that we are all in the same association sector. But what makes me purple in that moment is the fact that I'm kind of that workforce girl, recruiter, coach, that kind of person. None of them are. So if there's something that has to do with staffing and workforce and employment, they'll turn to me because I look purple, meaning I look like a different color than everybody else. I stand out from the fish pond. And everybody actually in the room could could be a purple fish. We all double. We are all goldfish and purple fish at the same time. But you've got to figure out what is your purple fishness? You know, what's that color? What's that unique value proposition that you have that nobody else in the room has? And then finally, there's B2G, the government contracting. And that's an entirely different thing. And I'm unfortunately, I'm not an expert in GovCon. Other than, other than to say that in, in the government contracting world, it is all about relationship building. It's, it's what we call winning the business before you win the business. Before the RFP comes out, you want to have those relationships built. You want to know uh, what's coming down the pike. You want to know how to price your, your, your offering to win the business. Um, it, there's a ton of relationship building that's, that's involved. It's not just about the, the uh, request for proposal. It is really about the relationships that you that you build and you keeping ahead ahead of the game, like knowing you know that somebody's going to get that some agency is going to get an appropriation that they're going to get a windfall of money. Well, how do they? How are they going to want to use it? And what kind of government contracting you know vehicle are they going to want to to use? So there's a oh, very very complicated. Again, it's not my sector. And and for those of you who are listening who are GovConners, I hope I didn't misspeak here. But that's the that's that's the general concept. So again, it's really looking at you know who's your target market. You know what are the needs that they are that they're that they're trying to solve. Where are they fishing? And how can you be a purple fish and and provide unique value? And you had mentioned a little bit already in terms of, of selling in this, and that leads me to the fee structure. Give us a, an overview about creating a fee structure. What's involved in that? What are, what are the steps? Yeah, it, that's a pretty complex question, as I'm sure you can imagine, because it all depends. Sure. It all depends on whether you're selling a product or service, depends on what the market can bear. Um, there are all kinds of ways to, to, to think about this, but you've got to do a lot of research first, right? Before you even start to think about um, what your fee structure should be. You almost need to be a little bit of a secret shopper and tool around 
and ask people, well, what do you pay for this? Meaning ask prospective clients, when you're hiring a such and such kind of consultant, what do you typically pay? Uh, what are the ranges? Uh, when you buy this kind of product, what do you typically pay? Actually, you, with products, it's a lot easier because you can be a secret shopper and you can go, if you will, look for that product online or talk to people and say, you know, look at other businesses. What do they charge? So you need to see what the market bears. Okay. I will tell you that the, the, the trickiest one is when you're in, when you're a consultant, because consultant fees can range all over the map. <laughs> I mean, I can't even explain to you how much all over the map they are, but again, You've got to and you've got to talk to those those prospects and see what are they what are they typically paying, and for what. Okay, the other thing is different kinds of industries pay different fees. Um, different the scope of the project can can affect the fee, and then there's the fee structure itself, right? So it's not just what are you charging, but what's the the the, the manner in which you're charging it. Is it is it by the are you charging by the hour? Are you charging by the a monthly? Re, this is for consultants. Uh, by the hour, by a monthly retainer, are you charging a project fee? Different ones um, have different implications. Uh, so when you charge by the hour, on the one hand, it's good because you know you're getting paid for the time that you work. On the other hand, you can't you can only charge but so high a fee, um, an hourly fee. Whereas if it's a project, um, you can charge usually a, a larger fee. On the other hand, if there then there's then there's something called scope creep, and scope creep means <clears throat> you guys have contracted for a certain project, but then the employer says, well, you know, can you add on this? Can you tack on that? And all of a sudden that, you know, five or six figure fee gets whittled down to two and a half cents an hour because you're just working way, way more um, than what you anticipated. So there are a lot of different ways to think about it. So you got to think about, again, what is, what's the market bear, but also where do you want to be uh, within the market? Are you trying to be lowest cost? Are you trying to be highest value? Are you trying to be the elite version? Are you trying to be, um, you know, the one who's who's going to charge, if you will, the most, but going to provide the highest quality value? Um, I, I actually did. Just, I, I I learned to do that that latter one um, when I first started doing recruiting. The firm that I worked with for for the first fifteen years before I went out on my own, um, my my boss at the time she she had no you know had no apologies for the fact that we were priced high. In fact, we were we were top top of the market. But she also said we're like the Nordstrom of search services, and and it's true. We provided really really high quality value. That also meant that we took fewer clients on, but the clients that we did serve, we served in a boutique kind of a way, right? So they really felt like with that we were their only client. Where some of our competitors were charging lower fees, but they had to do higher volume business. They had to serve as a whole lot more clients to make the same amount of money, which means. Those clients, unfortunately, didn't feel the same love, if you will, that we could necessarily show them. Okay, so you've got to be thinking about what is it? Are you looking for high volume? So low dollar, high volume. Are you looking for high dollar, which means probably lower volume? You got to think about how much money you want to make per year. The income stream, and there's a lot of different factors to think about. But again, it all starts with your market research. Okay, and we're getting close to the end, and I wanted to get a couple of questions in because I'm sure our listeners are interested in that. Does does BoomerWorks provide uh, courses or educational sessions about learning actual business operations, uh, so that you know once you're starting in in running your business that you know how to do that? Sure. So that so we have so far, um, if you go to the training center under the business operations tab, so far we have one. 
Um, one video is called Operations 101, the basic building blocks for business success, uh, where you can look where we talk about, um, you know, the difference between uh, being an employee and a 1099 contractor. What kind of relationship do you need with an attorney? What are some basic accounting and banking considerations? These are pretty foundational. Um, we actually have, I apologize, a second video. We call it using productivity tools like a tool, like a pro, and it's tools, apps, and and different kinds of digital tools that can help you with your manager productivity. We actually have two, two videos. Um, I say that because we are constantly expanding our our, our repertoire, right? Uh, and so we are looking for people, frankly, who are have who have specialties in operational areas, and we would love to offer more educational programs than these. But these are two that you can go uh, to look at right now just to kind of get a sense as to what you need to get started. Okay. Another thing I believe I saw on your website, there's a section about franchise ownership. Am I correct? Yep, absolutely. In fact, we have one, we have one um, presentation on that. Again, go to the training center. It's called Franchise Ownership. And we had Heather Rosen, who is a seasoned franchise specialist. She's been doing it for many, many years. And she provided a very comprehensive presentation on how to figure out if franchising is right for you. Uh, why do some people succeed and others fail? How to uh, find a franchise that can be run as a semi-absentee owner? Uh, what can you do to significantly increase your chance of success in a franchise? So again, I wouldn't even do her justice to to, to go into her, her presentation, but I would uh, highly recommend that you avail yourself of that. Okay. And then one final question before just, again, having you repeat uh, where to find resources. And that is, if someone chooses self-employment, receiving health benefits, what, what, what could you tell us? If what's interesting about receiving health benefits is that it's not as hard as you think. You know, in fact, I, I went to a regular benefits broker and all, the, all he did for me is he said, he just looked at me as a single person. I mean, I actually have a husband now, but so he, he came under my plan. But, but yeah, he really just looked at me as a single person and he just went to the market and found me a benefits package. It's not hard. Um, you just need to go search for for benefits brokers. Most see, the, the thing is, is that um, when you're in a W two situation, you think this is part of the, the mythology here. You think that oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to get benefits unless I'm with an employer. Because when you're with an employer, oh, they go to a benefits broker and they've got all these different um, you know packages and all these different things. But it's actually not hard. <laughs> a regular benefits broker can get you just a single. Package or again, even if if you know if you're with a family, it's not hard to do. Now, of course, you can go on the exchange as well, uh, but it's it's not hard now. It does cost, right? So that's that is the that is the thing that you're going to have to think about. In that, when you were in a, in a W two situation, they took usually the lion's share of the premium. You know, so if the premium was seven hundred a month or a thousand a month or whatever, they took let's say seventy or eighty percent of that and you know, pass the other 20% on to you. So yes, you're going to have to build in the fee, the premiums into your business model, because yes, you're now going to be responsible for that, but it's really not difficult to go and find it. And there's actually a particular website called ehealthinsurance.com. And that is one of the, the quickest places that you can go ahead and find, um, you know, an insurance plan. In fact, literally their tagline is health insurance plans for everyone, individual and family, small business, all of that. So ehealth, ehealthinsurance.com is a good place to go. Okay. And your website again? Our website is boomerworks.org. That is for the boomerworks that we've been talking about. Uh, for my paid business that I've been sharing about my coaching and recruiting and so forth, uh, that is purposefulhire.com. Purposeful like it sounds with one L, 
and then H-I-R-E, PurposefulHire.com, recruiting, coaching, small business coaching. But BoomerWorks.org is the volunteer group that we've been talking about today. Well, I want to thank Shira Lotzar, Chief Engagement Officer with Purposeful Hire and the co-founder of BoomerWorks.org. If you want to learn more about Aging Matters, visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And of course, at this site, you can learn about all the Aging Matters radio and TV show content and also listen to the Apple and Spotify podcasts where all of the radio shows are uh, produced and posted. So be sure and check that out. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. You can learn more about that company at inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. Aging Matters is sponsored in part by the Aging Life Care Association, an organization of aging life care professionals. Aging life care professionals offer guidance, advocacy, and support for older adults and their families in order to maximize quality of life. An aging life care professional can be there for your loved one when you can't be. More information about the Aging Life Care Association is available at www.midatlanticalca.org. Thank you.